Welcome to the Not Old Better Show. I'm Paul Vogelsang, and this is episode number 494. As part of our Art of Living interview series, our guest today is Stephanie Whittles-Wax. Stephanie Whittles-Wax is a voice actress. She's an activist and she's an author. She's also the co-founder and executive director of the theater company Rec Room in Houston, Texas, and the co-founder and chief creative officer of the podcast network Lemonada Media. Stephanie Whittles-Wax also serves as the host of the podcast The Last Day. We will be talking to Stephanie Whittles-Wax about the new season of Last Day, season two. Season two of Last Day is focused on the epidemic of suicide. This is a subject that we often sweep under the rug. It's stigmatized. It's behavior that we have a hard time with, frankly. And sometimes it's easier to forget this subject or forget the individual who's not here any longer. Season two of Last Day delves into the growing suicide rate, telling real stories, talking to experts, and asking everyone along the way, how did we get here? And what could we have done differently? Please join me in welcoming to the Not Old Better Show via internet phone, Stephanie Whittles-Wax. Stephanie Whittles-Wax, welcome to the program. Thank you for having me. I'm excited to be here. I'm excited to talk to you too. It, it the, the topic is an important one. Maybe it's a bit heavy. We're going to get into this, but I, I want to just start by telling you right out of the gate how much I admire you, your work at Lemonada Media, uh, the work that you're doing on the Last Day podcast. I don't know. I, I use the word work here, but I don't, I'm not sure it really does justice to all that you do. It, it's not probably the best <laughs> word to use because you do so much work. You have so many talents among them, host of the Last Day podcast, which we're going to discuss. Season two is is upon us, and it is just so powerful and wonderful. But I wonder if we could start by you just maybe giving your bio briefly and, and what led you uh, to this point in time with Lemonada Media, uh, the Last Day podcast, kind of where you're at with everything. Sure. That's so nice of you to say. Thank you. Um, as a creative, I uh, don't acknowledge my own talents. So if you, if you know <laughs> well, creatives, you know that we're, let us do we're that. a uh, self-hating bunch. Um, <laughs> so no, that's, that's very nice of you to say. I appreciate your, your support and, and that you're listening to the show. So Lemonada was not something that was on my radar of where I wanted to land. I did not have um, aspirations of, of running a media company, running a podcast company. Um, but my career has been like strangely and delightfully organic in terms of the way that it's unfolded. Um, I don't want to discredit my, my, my work, uh, my, my hard work, but there's been a variety of opportunities that have arisen out of other opportunities and also out of just tragedies. And as a person who has always been, you know, I, I started in theater. I started as a theater director um, my whole life. Uh, I mean, I went to NYU for college for, you know, acting and directing. Um, I taught for a long time. I taught for about a decade, I taught acting to very, very talented teenagers at a performing arts high school. And um, I did a lot of voiceover work and my, I had a career for 15 years as a voiceover actor. And, and then my brother, uh, Harris Whittles, who was also a brilliant um, creative, he was a comedian, a writer, he produced Parks and Recreation. He was um, on the show as Harris, the animal control guy, if, you, if you're mm -hmm. a fan of the show. Absolutely. Very talented uh, he, man, your brother. 
Thank you. Mm-hmm. He, he coined the term humble brag. I love that. Uh, which <laughs> is biggest claim to fame. Mm-hmm. Um, we've all, we've all heard that when you start hearing it on Geico commercials, you know that you've, <laughs> you've really arrived. You've made it. So he, he was amazing and talented and, and brilliant. And he also had a, an addiction to opioids and it's something that we battled as a family uh, for a couple of years. And then in February, 2015, uh, he died of an overdose. And it, um, to say that it derailed me would be a gross understatement. Uh, it felt more like a, a bomb dropped mm-hmm. on everything and just blew everything up. And I describe it as kind of sitting in a pile of rubble and uh, not really moving for a while. And out of that kind of, you know, tr- truly profound loss and grief, I started writing and uh, the writing became a book. And from the, from there, I went on a bunch of podcasts to talk about grief and addiction. And I started, you know, speaking on it, um, doing a lot of public speaking. And I connected with my partner at Lemonada. And she said, do you want to do a podcast about the opioid crisis? I said, no, I do not. I am <laughs> done talking about opioids. Um, but she's, she's quite persistent <laughs> and, uh, and, and, and convincing. And eventually she wore me down and, um, I gave birth to my second child. And a few months later, um, we got to work on the show. And from that, we decided, Hey, you know what? There are a lot of things in the world that are really hard to talk about and getting worse every day and people are struggling and we're not kind of talking about that. And let's make a lot of shows that help people get out of bed in the morning. And that was in, let's see, we launched last day, September last year. It's now October and we have now launched our 10th show. Well, thank you for sharing that. It's a powerful story. I can tell you most definitely um, I'm listening Season two of The Last Day just launched, October 21st, I believe. And um, season one focused on the opioid crisis, as, as you as you mentioned, very personal subject. And now you're focused on uh, the epidemic of suicide, also a personal subject. It's a subject we, you know, we as people, certainly um, many in my generation sweep under the rug. It's, it's, it's often viewed as stigmatized behavior and and it's sometimes easier just to forget about the subject. It's sometimes easier just to forget about the individual who, who's not here with us. But our audience, particularly those of us who are over age 60, I'm 63, are among the highest group that are touched by suicide. Many are considering, yeah. um, yep, harming themselves, attempting this. So maybe you could just kind of catch us up on this subject. Why is this such an epidemic? Why are so many people at risk? And and I guess maybe touch on just this really lovely message that you have that you bring to Last Day, and that's, you know, how how we can take care of each other and how we can help. Yeah, I'm I'm really glad that you you brought that up. Um, you know, suicide rates among seniors and uh, middle aged white men, really, mm-hmm. if we're mm-hmm. if we're going to break it down to a demo, uh, yep. is is really alarming, and it definitely is something that that keeps rising. I think that right now particularly alarming because, you know, at the root of, of why somebody decides that they want to end their life is a lot of hopelessness and loneliness and isolation. And I don't need to explain to you right now that, you know, collectively right now as a country, we are very isolated 
um, a lot of us are feeling hopeless and alone. We are quarantining. Many of us who are, you know, parents who have young kids and, you know, kids who are in school are now having to juggle um, all that comes along with the daily grind of working, which most most households have two, two income households, you know, now. And now we have the task of being teachers to our kids and playmates and, you know, everything. Um, our kids themselves are struggling. So it's just a lot right now. And the idea that we don't know when it's going to end is also really tough. So you'll see that suicide rates and overdose rates are rising right now. I have learned so much doing the show. Um, I've learned about ways that we talk about it that can be really harmful in and of itself. Um, just the way that it's represented in the media, mm. you know, even calling it an epidemic mm. apparently is, is something you're not supposed to do um, because it gives the message that, you know, everyone who has thought of ending their lives goes through with it. And that is not true, fortunately. Mm -hmm. The statistic is that for every one person who dies by suicide, there's about 300 who find a way to move past that. That's good news. I think that there are so many ways that we can address this um, upstream, right? We can, we can intervene way earlier so that the moment of crisis is something we never get to. I just interviewed my dad. My dad is 78. He's living with us right now. Hmm. Uh, um, and we had a conversation on Mike yesterday about uh, how he's feeling, right? What his mental health is. Hmm. He has Parkinson's. He is suddenly disabled, you know, in a way. He, he was so independent his whole life. He worked and worked and worked for 40 years. Um, a couple years ago, he retired. You know, he doesn't, he can't drive anymore. He has trouble making his body work in the way that feels normal to him. Um, and so when we, when we talk about suicide risk factors in, in elderly Americans, especially, um, I talked to this guy, Dr. Yates Cromwell recently, who, who does this work, right, with seniors and, and suicide. Mm. And the risk factors are, are what he calls the four Ds. There's depression, debility. Uh, so decrease in physical abilities or loss of mobility, disconnectedness, and access to deadly means. So th those are four risk factors that we that we look out for. And my dad put it in like really interesting terms for me. He was like, you know, I'm at this point in my life where I realize that I, ha I have a lot of regret about things that I never did, and now it's too late. You know, he's like, it's, you know, I I've I've kind of run out of time is how I feel. And it sort of brings into focus a lot that he wishes he would have done, you know, on the flip side, you know, Yates told us in this really interesting way that a lot of seniors, the, mo the, the majority of seniors look back on their life and they feel a sense of real satisfaction. You know, they've raised their kids, they've had a fulfilling career, you know, they're able to now be the fun grandparent in some cases. Um, there's a lot of joy. There's a lot of joy that comes with that. Um, I just think right now, because we are so socially isolated, it's just a really hard time for folks. So we're exploring all of that. We're exploring the way that the media usually talks about suicide. Uh, they usually get it wrong. <laughs> and, mm -hmm. And and that can be really um, devastating and and even fatal for people. You know, I love that you've that you've you've talked to your dad. My mom 
who's 90, is she's been on the show. I'm very close to her. I've heard you mention your mom and her Facebook post. And so I, I know that this is very personal <laughs> for you. So maybe we'll, yeah. we'll just get personal for a second. Are, how are you doing? Are, are, are you doing better? Are you just emotionally exhausted yeah. by this subject? Yeah. Yeah. Oh my gosh. Yeah. I'm so mm -hmm. tired. I, um, <laughs> yes, <laughs> I'm so tired. Last night at 11 o'clock, I, I have to wait to record until my kids go to bed because they're very selfish and loud <laughs> and, um, they're two and six. So we're like mm. in it, you know? <laughs> yeah. And, um, so I'm usually recording at, you know, nine, 10, 11 o'clock at night after trying to, you know, or after doing all of the dinner and bath times and bedtimes. And then I have to sort of shift my thinking and come back to last day and write things mm. that are profound and meaningful <laughs> and then put them on tape. Um, and last night I was doing it at around 11. Usually I can power through, but man, I, I just, I, I said on the tape, I got to stand up. I lifted the mic up. I had to like sort of do some jumping jacks to get, to get there. <laughs> um, it is, it is really hard. It's really hard. I think my own grief feels like there's a lot of resolution in that. I mean, I don't think grief ever goes away, but I have, I've come to a place where, you know, doing the first season, 26 episodes on the opioids crisis was deeply meaningful. Mm -hmm. And if you listen to that series, there are many points where I am weeping openly, mm -hmm. you know, mm -hmm. it was like taking some sort of a wound and just putting a microscope over it and, and just digging in. And, I sort of like was able to come to terms with my own feelings of guilt around my brother's death. Could I have done more? What could I have done differently? The, the questions that families are really left grappling with when you have an unexpected death of some kind. Um, and I think it was really healing for my parents as well, you know, to be able to say, this is a chronic medical illness. You know, this isn't this isn't that we we failed him and did it all wrong. It's that it's a chronic medical illness for which we're we're finding more and more uh, quote unquote cures mm -hmm. every day. Mm -hmm. You know, the science right. keeps catching up. Mm -hmm. And I and I said to my dad, you know, he was a physician. He did internal medicine. I was like, don't you feel um, like doesn't it suck when you think about what you know now and that if we would have known it. Five years ago, when Harris was alive, we could have maybe saved him. And my dad's like, you know, that's the that's the thing with science and medicine, though. It's that, you know, it keeps progressing, and that you're never gonna know what what you know now. Then you have to, at some point, sort of come to terms with that. That we're, you know, we are constantly progressing, and so I, I think it's the same way with grief, right? Like I. I'm in such a different place with it. And I think because I am so willing to be very raw and exposed and I wrote a book about it and I talk about it all the time, it's been very therapeutic. And I, I always encourage anyone who is dealing with some kind of, you know, trauma, if you can get it out of your body uh, with your words or therapy or whatever, it is really helpful, I think. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you're, of course, the author of the book, Everything is Horrible and Wonderful, the tragic comic memoir of genius, heroin, love, and loss, which is really your memoir about addiction and grief and healing through through your family. And we're going to put links up to where our audience can find out more information about Stephanie Whittles-Wax and 
uh, Limonada Media, the company that she's co-founded with her business partner, Jessica Cordova-Kramer. Just wonderful work that you're doing. Also work that you're doing with Jed Cares, and we'll put up a link to jedcares.org because they're focusing on storytelling. And that's kind of an interesting take on this idea of how to deal with suicide in the last day podcast. And so maybe tell us a little bit about this idea of, of storytelling and how it relates and maybe refer to one of the episodes I listened to um, uh, Beyond the Bridge. I, I loved it. I have not yet mm. listened to Is Suicide Contagious? But maybe talk a little bit about that uh, that episode and how suicide is um, and suicide clusters and kind of this notion of storytelling is all kind of woven together for you. Yeah. So Jed uh, has been so instrumental in this season. I am deeply grateful to them. Uh, our relationship has been incredibly fruitful. And, um, you know, I felt very strongly that for season two, because I don't have a personal connection to suicide in the same way I did addiction, mm -hmm. that we needed an editorial board. We needed advisors. We needed mental health professionals at the table. I I don't want to get this wrong. I don't want to do more harm. And Jed was um, such a wonderful place for us to find that support. So they are a nonprofit. They protect emotional health and prevent suicide in our nation's teens and young adults. Mm -hmm. uh, and they do believe that stories can change and save lives. And a lot of what they do is that they, you know, they encourage people to share, to share their stories. This is, you know, I had a guest on in, in episode one, and I'll never forget. She was a sister of a woman who had passed away from an overdose. Uh, her sister's name was Emily. And Emily had like a nine-month-old baby and was doing really well and ended up relapsing and overdosed and died. And this woman and her mother are raising, you know, their, their family member's child now. And mm -hmm. they were a lovely family. And Emily was on a pod. She had a podcast that was sort of short run. And she said, you know, addiction is a disease um, that dies in the light, you know, mm. and it thrives in darkness. And I think that when we talk about like darkness, we're talking about shame and we're talking about stigma and we're talking about feeling like you, you're suffering alone, loneliness, all hopelessness, all of that. And if we can, like I said, if we can put those stories out there, and use it as, as connective tissue between us, then loneliness and shame and all of those icky, terrible things will start to sort of go away. If you're feeling all of those feelings, you are one of basically every person who does. You know, there's nobody that can say they don't feel those feelings. Um, and so what we like to do with our work and why Jed is such a good partner for us is that we believe that we need to really zoom in on, on statistics, that statistics are, are not helpful, right? We need to tell the human stories behind these statistics. We need to humanize mm -hmm. these numbers mm -hmm. um, and, and make it accessible. If, if I hear the number 72,000, which is how many people died of overdoses in 2017, I can't imagine 72,000 people. That's a stadium. I, it's an NFL stadium, right? right? right. I know what one person is like. I know... I know, I know what that feels like to have a connection with one person. And so, so we, we believe that storytelling is, is really the way to make a difference here. 
Well, Stephanie Whittlesbacks, I really, I know you're very busy with all of this work that you're doing. I just really have one final question. Let's, let's maybe talk about what you, what you talk about so well, I think in the podcast last day and, and certainly beyond the bridge is a wonderful story about this, the meeting of these, these two men. Is there some positive news out there about suicide? Are we getting better at identifying it, better at treating it perhaps? You know, you reference your father, the internist and and, and are we willing to be more open and, and observe some of these suicidal tendencies in, in others, making sure that we're talking about it responsibly? Because I've heard you refer to um, the show, uh, we'll just refer to it obliquely here, about 13 numbers, perhaps. Maybe that's a good way to refer to it. Right. <laughs> are we understanding <laughs> this idea better and, you know, giving access to people yeah. where they need it and being preventive and talking about yeah. positive things like jobs and education and, and hope. Yep. That's really, I mean, you really just hit it. It's that suicide prevention is, is not like suicide prevention. It is, it is creating a life worth living. That is the bottom line. If we can like health insurance is suicide prevention, affordable housing is suicide prevention, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. building psychological resilience, is suicide prevention, grief counseling and suicide prevention, all of these, all of these finding meaning, finding purpose, having meaningful relationships, feeling valued, all of that is suicide prevention. So, you know, in a way, do I think we're getting better? I think we're heading there. I, I don't think as a society, we've necessarily put the value that we need to put on making sure people have what they need, all people you know, have what they need mm -hmm. um, to, to live a life worth living. I think that we are getting better in terms of stigmatization. I think we are getting better in terms of destigmatizing therapy and mental health and uh, medication needed, right? We always say last day, we love medication. We think it's great when prescribed safely by a doctor. And so, yeah, I, I think we're in a better position than we were five years ago. I think we're in a better position than we were 20 years ago, um, I think we have a long ways to go. Um, unfortunately, when we talk about suicide, it's really difficult because, because you need to do sort of a psychological autopsy on somebody to know why they wound up where they wound up. Mm. Um, it is not something like, to be very blunt, my brother died. There was a needle next to him. It was very easy to say, oh, that substance killed him, right? That, that thing there killed him. With suicide, it's like, well, the person did it, you know? They made this choice. And there are themes that keep coming up again and again when we talk about why people get to that moment. Therapy is something that comes up every single time, mm -hmm. right? the lack of therapy, mm -hmm. the lack of mental health support, um, feeling like they had to hide, feeling like they were alone, feeling like their life had no meaning and no purpose, feeling disconnected from family members and friends. It's something I kind of want to leave you with this. We're working on episode three right now. And we had one of our jet advisors say, you know, not to get like too woo woo, but but, but suicide is more of a crisis of spirit and mm. less of a crisis of brain. Mm. And I think that's really profound. I think your spirit is something that 
is made up of so many things. It's made up of your, your past, your trauma, your spiritual beliefs, your connections with your family, your genetic makeup, you know, all of these things play into your spirit. And in my mind, it's something that happens at the very center of who you are, right? And that's the place we have to touch, you know? And so I I just want to keep reiterating, if we can make a life worth living, we have such a better shot of tackling rising suicide rates and rising overdose rates. That's really the key. So good to talk to you and, and so many important things. I, I, I love that, uh, that notion of, of spirit because it, it, it can be broken if we don't have a job. It can be broken if we're facing, you know, uh, expensive education or education that we're not necessarily feeling we get, we're getting the value from or perhaps family um, breakage. You know, if our lives are breaking, we're without hope and our spirit is broken. So, so well said, Stephanie Winnells-Vax. Thank you for your time. What a pleasure it is to talk to you. My best to you and your family. I hope you guys are all well during the uh, during the pandemic and the quarantining and all of that. And my best to the last day team Thank too. You, you guys, yep, absolutely. Thanks for your time today. I appreciate you. It was so nice to talk to you today. Thank you. Thank you. My thanks to Stephanie Whittles Wax and her team at Lemonada Medium for help in arranging the interview and the show today. My thanks to you, our wonderful Not Old Better Show audience, for all you do to support and love the show. Please practice smart social distancing. Be safe. And remember, let's talk about better. The Not Old Better Show. Thanks, everybody.